You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Hey, we're talking about overcoming discouragement. This has been an awesome series. I've just so enjoyed hearing the testimonies come out of our church congregation, just expressing how how they are uh, overcoming discouragement and what that's looking like. I want to encourage you, man, if you have just felt like this sermon series is is speaking to you and helping you, come talk to me. I just want to hear how God is is moving and speaking in your life. But the reality is, is that discouragement can cause us to feel hopeless. Have you ever been there, church? can cause us to feel hopeless. Have you, ever, have you ever gotten so sick from the flu or cold or maybe even some COVID testimonies here today where you feel like you're, you're sick and you're sick for so long that you ask the question, am I ever going to feel normal again? Have you ever been there? Three of you, thank you. And so a couple years ago, I had uh, been diagnosed with Lyme disease, and it was an absolutely horrible process, and I found myself asking the question multiple times, am I ever going to feel normal again? Whenever we're feeling discouraged, it can remove that feeling of hope and ultimately lead us in feeling hopeless. But I hope by now through this series that you and I, that we've come to the conclusion that there is hope when dealing with discouragement. Can I hear an amen this morning? The discouragement is curable through the power of Jesus. The discouragement is curable through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. The discouragement is not our final destination If you would turn with me this morning to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 12. That's Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 12. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, an usher will be down to escort you out of the building. We hope that you find Jesus outside. Um, It's cold. Maybe it'll call on him. I want to encourage you, if you don't have the Bible with you this morning, download it on your smartphone. If you haven't downloaded it yet, get into the Word of God, because as you get into the Word of God, God gets into you. It's the only way that it happens, so I want to encourage you, get into the Word of God. You won't regret it. So a little bit of backstory before we jump into Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 6 through 12. Nehemiah hears uh, God uh, about God's city being in ruin and the people no longer following God. He returns to Jerusalem to rebuild the kingdom of God, both physically and spiritually. And to to put it quite uh, blunt this morning, Nehemiah faces challenges. He faces struggles. He faces enemies. And you guessed it, Nehemiah faces discouragement. But God provides and God uses Nehemiah to overcome all of these challenges, including uh, a discouraged group of people. Nehemiah has, was called by God to do a job for God, and I see a lot of parallels between Nehemiah's calling and our calling to rebuild what God is calling us to build. Amen, church? He was motivated and disciplined. Those are two characteristics of somebody where when they're motivated and disciplined, that's nine out of ten times, that is an incredible leader. There was a spiritual tenacity in Nehemiah that I so admire and look up to. Where Have you ever run into somebody who just, their love for God is relentless. 
And I've had the opportunity, thankfully, growing up as a pastor's son to sit among, I mean, some pretty incredible individuals. We're hearing about their relationship with God and how much they they do for the church and the ministry and reaching the lost. It just, it stirs something up in me. And I feel like if I were to sit with Nehemiah today, that he would have that kind of effect on me. I just read about him and I'm encouraged by his tenacity and his relentless pursuit to rebuild and do what God has called him to do. And I just look and I I look at these scriptures and I go, God, make us a church like that. Come on, somebody that's relentless in the pursuit of what God has called us to do. Nehemiah chapter four, verses six through 12. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all of their heart. But when the Sambalot, the Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashad heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead of the gaps and were being closed, they were very angry. Pause. When you start doing God's work, not everybody's going to be happy about it. Verse 8. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up troubles against it. But we prayed to our God, and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. I want to jump into four causes of discouragement that we're seeing in these verses. The first, which can be found in verse 10, is fatigue. The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. A lot of our discouragement comes from fatigue. A lot of our discouragement here in 2021 is coming from just being tired, just being worn out. The laborers had been working nonstop. And the reality is, is some of us try and be our own gods by producing our own power to keep on working, completely neglecting when God rested on the seventh day. And there came a point, I mean, there, there was a point in our society where, where one spouse could work and sustain the rest of the family. And quite frankly, those days are long gone, am I right? And now we have two spouses working, and I, the, the kids, I swear, kids start working at like eight years old. And the, the reality is, is that the family calendar every year just keeps intensifying. It's more sports, it's more academics, it's more things going on work. And then, as I will forever say, we have these stupid things where we never disconnect. And it's like an addiction. We hear it go off in the other room and most of us feel compelled to go and check and see and make sure everything is okay or that a work project is happening or that a mom or dad's group that everything is okay or that the kids' extracurricular activities are still on schedule for today, tomorrow, and the rest of eternity. And the schedule just keeps getting bigger and bigger and more demanding. And then for for those of us who have fitness goals, we have to be at the gym at like four in the morning before the work day so that we can add on extra work to ourselves. And this schedule just never ends. And so a lot of our discouragement 
comes from the fact that in the 21st century, we are trying to play God, but without taking rest. And we're trying to do so much. And I heard this quote one time, and it forever changed my perception, because can I tell you something that I struggled with when I first came into ministry is I felt guilty taking a day off as a pastor. One of the most beautiful quotes that I had heard is sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is nap. Where's the z One of the most spiritual things that we can do sometimes to show honor to the God who created us is yielding to his word when it says that he rested on the seventh day. Fun fact, did you know that God didn't really need to rest on the seventh day? He wasn't like, whoo! I know I'm omnipotent and almighty. I got to sit down. Fun fact, God was setting an example to mankind in that moment, telling us, reminding us that we are finite because he knew, because he is all-knowing, that we would struggle with being finite and that we would come into this weird belief that we are limitless rather than limited. And I so appreciate how God loves us in the book of Genesis and how he gives us this beautiful instruction to take a nap, to take a day of rest. Can I tell you this morning, church, that I feel in my heart that some of us who are gathered here this morning, the root of your discouragement is that you haven't just laid down on the couch for a little while and just rest. Lock the kids outside of the house. Lock them out. I'm kidding. I want to encourage you, though. Overcome discouragement. Give honor to God by just resting. If you can rest in his presence, if that's what you want to do, then awesome. But I want to encourage you that sometimes the most spiritual, mature thing that we can do is to rest. Can I hear an amen this morning, church? The other element that was causing discouragement as we read these scriptures is a loss of vision. In verse 10, it says this, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. These workers, they had lost sight of the overall goal. They had become so discouraged that they had no vision for the future. And as Proverbs tell us, where there's no vision, the people perish. And this scripture lines up with Proverbs, I mean, right on. Because we see this being played out. There's no vision. Why? Because they're discouraged. They've forgotten what God has called them to out of discouragement. Can I challenge you this morning? If what's happening in our world has caused you to be discouraged, remember that God has a vision for the future, and it's far better than ours. He's got this. I said he's got this. Not only are the Israelites tired, but they state there's so much rubble. That's stating that there's 
That's them saying this. There's a lot more work here than what I had planned on. Have you ever been there, friends? Where you get into a situation, maybe with a family member or trying to resolve a conflict or maybe at work, and you're like, there's a lot here. I don't remember seeing all this mess. They couldn't see the vision of God telling them to rebuild the wall because their circumstances were the main focal point of their lives. Maybe you've encountered a situation or circumstance that feels like rubble that prevents God from building anything in your life. This will inevitably leave us to feeling discouraged. How's the vision in your life going? Do you have vision for tomorrow? Do you have vision for next week? Do you have vision for what you want to see? And what will you allow God to do in and through your life this year, next year, and the years to come? Do you have vision for your kids' lives that is revolved around God's vision for their life? How's your vision going? Another reason for discouragement also found in verse 10 is there's the fear and feeling of failure. We cannot rebuild the wall. This statement tells us that the people lost confidence in what they were doing. The loss of strength and vision will lead us to the loss of confidence, which means discouragement is soon to follow. The Israelites see all of the work in front of them, and they realize that it is going to take a lot longer to rebuild the wall. We can only assume that they started to feel overwhelmed and helpless, which leads them to state, we cannot possibly rebuild this. And I see this, this feeling in modern day churches where we look at all that has happened around our world and we look at the evil and the, and the circumstances that are so corrupt that it's almost beyond our ability to comprehend. And we look at this mountain of rubble and we say, there's a lot more here to rebuild than what I thought. And soon fear sets in and we just kind of go, God, I don't... How... How can we possibly rebuild this? Another reason for feeling discouraged in this passage found in verse 11 is a loss of security. A loss of security. This verse says this, Also our enemy said, Before they know it or see us, we will, bring right there among, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to your work. Losing a sense of safety most certainly leads to discouragement. Losing a job and not having that security, that can wreck us. Friends and family are an easy security blanket. Having those friends and family that surround us, but what if, what if they move? What if there's a transition, a new season of life where they move away, where our kids move away from us, where we move away from them, and there's this unique situation, and we're all of a sudden left feeling insecure. Our security has been taken away. The loss of security can inevitably lead us to feeling discouraged. Our natural tendency is to seek tangible sources of security rather than faith-oriented security that only the Lord wants us to find in Him. Jesus makes it clear throughout Scripture that we will always find security in Jesus. Can I hear an amen? No matter what our circumstances are, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you discouraged? Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight. Jesus says this, Come to me and I will give you, there's that word again, rest. 
So how do we overcome these four causes of discouragement? We must do the three things that Nehemiah did. First is this, reinforce weak points. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords. I love that. It's another sermon for another day. Swords, spears, and bows. So I ask you, where are the weak points in your life? Where are the weak points in your spiritual relationship with Jesus? And what are we doing to reinforce those areas? Can I state some uh, weak points that I've seen in the, in the church of the 21st century? Is theology. Theology has become a weak point. It's a part of the reason why we go through our doctrine, the 16 fundamental truths in our membership process to say, this is how we measure discernment. This is how we discern what messages are coming into this house of worship is we measure them by these 16 fundamental truths. Theology has become a weak point in the church of the 21st century. We don't know why we believe what we believe. We know what to believe. We don't know why to believe it. That's a weak point in our theology. There are a, a, a variety of examples that we could state this morning, but I also want to make this personal. I'm not here to bash the church of the 21st century. I'm just saying we're not perfect and we have a lot of work to do. Amen? So I want to make this personal. I want you to ask yourself, where are the weak points in my life? My temper, my attitude, my commitment, is in my, 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 what, what fruits of the Spirit am I lacking? And what are the weak points in our lives that we need to identify so that we can allow God to rebuild those weak points? Amen? But we first have to make it personal. And for spouses, I would encourage you to have a conversation revolved around this, and it takes humility, where you ask your spouse... In love, and spouses, you respond in love. What are the weak points in my life that you think I need to work on? This is how we have spiritual conversations with our husbands and our wives, and it's biblical. I could preach a whole other sermon right now. Thanks, Jack. You never let me down. How do we overcome these four causes of discouragement? Number two, we refocus on the Lord. We refocus on the Lord, not our circumstances, not our situation, but we refocus on God. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, after I looked over these things, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and will fight your family for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord. Would you say that out loud this morning? Remember the Lord. Discouragement is often rooted in us focusing on everything but the Lord. And Nehemiah recognizes that and he says, no, 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 refocus, remember the Lord. The reality is that most of our discouragement will come from focusing on our circumstances. God has a purpose for every season. We'll make all things work for his purpose. Amen, church? 
Don't allow the circumstances to deprive you of what the reality is. And the reality is, is that God is at work in every season. Pastor Charles Swindoll said it best when he said it this way. Vision is the ability to see God's presence, to perceive God's power, to focus on God's plan in spite of the obstacles. In spite of the obstacles. How do we refocus on God? First, we call to mind the things that the Lord has said. Secondly, we remember the Lord by remembering what he has said. It keeps going back to God's word. Have you caught that pattern? You can see God's vision for your life in his word. You can see God's vision for your life by following his ways. We can see God's vision for our lives when we pray. Number three, refuse to give in to discouragement. How do we overcome discouragement? We refuse to give in to it. There's that tenacity that Nehemiah has. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall to each our own work. We all returned to what God called us to do. We all returned to what God has called us to do. Don't allow discouragement to pull you away from what God has called you to do. Well, pastor, I'm not exactly sure what God has called me to do. That's a great place to be in. And I want to encourage you to get into his word. If you're looking for a prophetic message to speak into your life and give you direction, don't look to man, look to his word. Refuse to give in to discouragement. Worship team, would you come forward this morning? Three things that Nehemiah did to help others fight discouragement, because I want to be clear on this. Sometimes the reason why you and I go through discouragement is to help others get out of discouragement. The reason why we're talking about discouragement this morning is not just for our benefit, but so that we can be equipped to help others. That's the gospel message, not that we show up on, on Sundays and we get spiritually fat and happy. We're supposed to work that out by being active with the information that we retain on Sunday. Come on, somebody. What happens here on Sunday is meant to be carried into Monday, into Tuesday, into Wednesday, into the week, the week, the work week that we have yet ahead of us. All that we learn here today is meant to be carried out in the week for the sake of others. Three things that Nehemiah did to help others fight discouragement that you and I can do to help others. First is this. He helped others maintain a balance between faith and action. This is another weak point in the church of today. Is that we pray about something and then we do nothing about it. The reality is, is that God has not only called us to entrust things into his hand, but he has equipped us to do something about it. 
how frivolous would it be if God continues to send us resources to feed the needy and we sit here and keep praying that God would feed the needy and meanwhile the boxes of food keep building up out back? That is pointless. And I just can't help but get this image of God standing there going, God, feed the needy. (laughs) Nehemiah paints this beautiful picture of working as if it depended on him and praying as if it only depended on God. He maintained a beautiful balance between faith and action. And friends, that's a part of the reason why we're posting this piece of legislation off of our denomination's website later, because we're called to pray about things, but we are also called to do something about it. But we prayed to our God, there's the faith part, and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We prayed for God's protection and we stood to protect. They prayed for divine intervention, and they also did what they could in their human finite power by posting a guard. We pray for God's intervention to soften others' hearts, absolutely, open their eyes, but we also do everything in our power to help them. Number two, Nehemiah, he reminded others of God's help in their divine mission, as we see in verse 14. One of the most incredible things a Christian can do is to teach someone else how to live a life for a cause bigger than themselves. It's called discipleship. It's the message that you weren't created for you. If you live as if you're created for yourself, you are going to be frustrated One of the most beautiful examples that if you've attended here for a while, you've probably heard me reference Rick Warren a few times just because this is such a unique circumstance where Rick Warren, he writes a a book called 40 Days of Purpose. And in the first couple weeks, he sells like 5 million copies. And it just keeps growing. He just keeps selling more copies and more copies and more copies And the first line in his book, it's not about you. Well, this catches the attention of the media. They're like, how does this guy tell people it's not about you and he's becoming the number one author? And so they go to to Pastor Rick Warren and they, they ask him, why do you think people are liking this book so much? And he says this, Because spiritual emptiness is a universal disease. There is something inside of us that recognizes there is no more, that there is more to life than to wake up, go to work, come home, time with the family, maybe a few chores, go to bed, and repeat the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. People recognize that when they do this, They are not living, they are existing. 
Rick Warren goes on to discuss the fact that finding purpose in God is the only explanation why the book status and and it's why the book states in its first line it's not about you would be so successful. It's because people are finding their purpose in God, which he gives us a purpose that is so far bigger than ourselves, friends. So how do we encourage others? Remind them who God is in the purpose and mission that God has for their lives. Come on, somebody. Six years in full-time ministry, and I can tell you that moments when I've seen the most tears come out of students' eyes is when I knelt down as they were at the altar praying, and I said, you know, God has a purpose for your existence. The most powerful moments in the younger generation coming up is when I was able to look at them and say, I want you to know that you are gifted. You are anointed. God has a plan for your life. And we fall into this misbelief that like we can't do something as simple as this. Can I tell you that this is a gifting to go and tell somebody that God has a plan for their life? It's something that all of us can do. And you would be shocked at the results. I've seen too many videos of of friends of mine who are going to these these different rallies, these different social justice rallies at these cities when the riots were happening and they're walking around to young people saying, this isn't the way. There's a better plan for your life. Next thing you know, you have young men who are weeping on the streets of these cities because somebody told them that they matter. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to come to the conclusion that we exist for a bigger purpose than ourselves. It's something that humanity feels on the inside. And going up to somebody and acknowledging their God-given existence is a gifting that all of us can do. And finally, number three, How do we help others out of discouragement? How did Nehemiah do it? He taught the people to support each other. There's not very many places you can go today where you walk into a building and everybody who meets there is for you and not against you. Let's be real. There's not very many places in our society that say, come as you are, we're all messed up, let's work on it together. I mean, try that at public places. going to get some weird interactions. But then there's the church. Come on, somebody. We discussed this yesterday at our membership class. If you're looking for the perfect the perfect church where everybody gets along and there's no disagreements and everybody's in harmony, this isn't the church for you. The church that you're looking for is called heaven. On the flip side, C3 Church is the perfect place for imperfect people. We acknowledge that all of us are imperfect. We're all going to mess up. It's about acknowledging that and coming alongside of one another and say, you know what? You have hurts in your life. So do I. Let's work on this together. Friends, this is a characteristic of the church that teaches us this is why we exist, to come alongside of one another, to say, you got this, to encourage one another, 
to hold one another accountable and have those difficult conversations where you say, you know what, brother, sister, I, I know that you didn't intend to say it this way, but the way that you said it hurt so-and-so's feelings. Holding one another accountable. Because it's in those moments of accountability where spiritual growth happens. I wish somebody would get this this morning. Come on. Coming together, supporting one another. Nehemiah and these workers, they, they worked together. They shared resources. They protected one another and so on and so should we. Would you stand with me this morning, church? One of these days, our altar moments are going to look a little bit different. We're going to open up an invitation to come forward, and we'll be happy to pray over you and support one each other, one another up here, and, and seek God's will for one another's lives, and it's going to be great, and I can't wait for that, and there's a sermon series coming to a church near you. But for now, I just keep asking God with this sermon series, like, Lord, what do you want us to do? Because I don't just want to be hearers of this information. I want to be doers of the word as the Bible tells us to. So what do we do with this word that we heard this morning? And I just felt like the Holy Spirit go, you do it. You do it. You leave here and you do the things that you talked about. You go and encourage one another. You go and build one another up in the body of Christ. So if it's okay with you this morning, church, is it okay if we're going to end with this worship song and then the expectation of what do we do with this word is that in the weeks to come, we're going to do it. We're going to do what Nehemiah did. We're going to hold one another accountable, but we're also going to build one another up. We're going to go up to individuals in our lives that we know are struggling. We're going to say, hey, I know this is going to sound crazy. And I don't mean to sound like, woo, but God wants you to know that he has a plan for your life and that you matter. Your life matters. What you say matters. Your perspective and the giftings that you have, God just wanted me to let you know that you matter. The expectation of how we're going to act as a church in light of this is that we're going to do what God has called us to do. Is this making sense this morning, church? So I ask you the question, are you ready? I mean, honestly, consider it. Don't just like, I can go downstairs, you know, in the kids' ministry, preach this message and be like, are you ready? And without even thinking, they're all going to be like, yeah, what are we doing? Honestly, consider it. Are you ready? Are we ready to be this kind of church? If so, will you say out loud, I will be the church that God has called us to be. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.